Reading from Jeremiah 29:11 to 14. This is God's word. As soon as Babylon, 70 years are up, and not a day before, I'll show up and take care of you as I promised and bring you back home. I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. When you call on me, you come and pray to me. I'll listen. When you come looking for me, you'll find me. Yes, when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else, I'll make sure that you won't be disappointed. God's decree, I'll turn things around for you. I'll bring you back from all the countries which I drove you. God's decree, bring you home to the place from which I sent you off into exile. You can count on it. This reading is from Jeremiah 33, 10 to 11. Thus says the Lord, in this place of which you say it is a waste without human beings or animals, in the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate, without inhabitants, human or animal, there shall once more be heard the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voices of those who sing as they bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as at first, says the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. <laughs> this week I've been taking uh, speech lessons from Coach Ogeron. And this is just after one lesson. Our third scripture reading this morning comes from the <clears throat> from Jeremiah. I'll be reading from the 31st chapter. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another, or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest says the Lord. <clears throat> For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Thus saith the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar, and the Lord of hosts is his name. 
If this fixed order were ever to cease from my presence, says the Lord, that also the offspring of Israel would cease to be a nation before me forever. Thus saith the Lord, if the heavens above cannot be measured and the foundations of the earth below cannot be explored, then I will reject all the offspring of Israel because of all they have done, says the Lord. May the Lord add his richest blessing to these readings of his holy scripture. Amen. Amen. I want to take you to a place you've probably never heard of before, didn't even know existed. That place is called the Republic of South Ossetia. Has anybody ever heard of this place? Republic of South Ossetia. Anybody think I'm making it up? Yes, that as well. Okay, we got a few out there, a few doubters. This is a real place. It's about 2,000 square miles, so it's larger than Rhode Island, uh, the smallest state in the United States, but smaller than Delaware, which is the second largest state in the United States. South Ossetia is entirely landlocked between the Black and Caspian Sea. It's a little bump in a disputed territory between Georgia and Russia. Now, some of us might be thinking, okay, Atlanta to Moscow, that's a long distance between Georgia. No, no, not that Georgia in the United States. There is another small nation, used to be part of the uh, Soviet Union, kind of south-central. So you have Russia here, you have these small territories, South Ossetia is in the middle of it, Georgia below it, its borders are moving back and forth, its status as a nation is in flux. Population, all of about 50,000 people, not even as many as right here in Baton Rouge. As far as religion goes, Christianity is there in the form of Orthodox Christianity. Islam is there. It's not too far from countries in the Middle East. And then there's this other religion, Asinianism. Has anybody ever heard of that? I think I even got Be Tip and Beverly. They, they usually know all these things. Never heard of Asinianism. I never heard of this either. It is a folk religion that comes from some gods that were worshipped in ancient Iran, pre-Islamic times. In the 1980s, Asinianism experienced kind of a revival in this little republic of South Ossetia. Now thinking about that, how isolated this nation is, how few people there are, how odd this folk religion is, Imagine a scenario in which the world looks at South Ossetia and Asinianism as one of the centers of human history. You'd probably shake your head. I don't see it happening. I don't see that happening at all. By what scenario, what mistake of history could a folk religion of a remote landlocked country either receive any notice from the wider world, much less command the world's 
attention. As we turn to the book of Jeremiah this morning, I want to get us to a better understanding of where he was, what his work was cut out, how his work was cut out for him. Because on the surface, most people would say it looks like a complete fluke that anyone still reads the prophet Jeremiah 2,500 years after he began his work. He was a prophet in the land of Judah. The land of Judah was landlocked on all sides. It was about 2,000 square miles. Most of that was desert, so it really wasn't inhabited. Very few cities, sparsely populated, wasn't an independent nation in Jeremiah's time. It was a vassal state. It existed under the thumb of some kingdom or empire throughout Jeremiah's life. As Jeremiah begins his prophetic career in that isolated place, most historians would have said, the story reads like this. There's a little local deity named Yahweh had a spat with a relatively small tribe of people. And once those people were conquered, once an empire came through and laid waste to its cities and its countryside, that tribe should have disappeared. They lost their city, their temple was defiled, and their God looks like he either got mad and left, or maybe even worse, wasn't really a God at all letting those people be destroyed that way. Most of the world would have shrugged their shoulders and said, none of this really matters in the scope of history. He was an insignificant prophet in an insignificant place to insignificant people with an insignificant God overseeing insignificant events. And in 587 B.C., Babylon sets up siege outside of Jerusalem and begins that horrendous siege of the city, leaving it a smoldering heap. You would expect that only archaeologists digging through the sand might one day find any evidence that any of this ever happened. That wasn't it wasn't for people like Jeremiah, though. People who spoke God's word. People who began to turn our eyes that something greater is going on. The middle of Jeremiah was five chapters. Chapters 29 to 33. This little collection of chapters, they're called the book of most of the rest of the prophecies of Jeremiah, it's destruction, it's turn around, it's, it, it's repent or else something terrible is going to happen. But right there in those five chapters, as we began talking last week, Jeremiah begins to pivot towards hope. And in those five chapters, he gives us four great signs of of hope. And I want to talk about those this morning because I believe those signs of hope are why we look at Jeremiah and still find his words so important today. Jeremiah, 
one of the prophets who told the people of Judah that Yahweh was going to do something unthinkable, inconceivable. The first sign of hope that, hope that Jeremiah gives to his people is that Yahweh, that local God of that tiny little landlocked country, the land of Judah, that place where God said, put my worship center right there and nowhere else, that God was going into exile with his people a thousand miles away from Jerusalem. Think about that. This morning, uh, David, uh, David Fennell was here. Some of you know David Fennell is a Nabisco rep. So he, he's a good man to know if you like Oreo cookies because he's always getting these sample cookies. I remember one time he brought me some uh, uh, strawberry Oreos. I, I read the ingredients just to make sure there wasn't crack cocaine in these things, because they were so, they were incredible. I asked David, I said, David, you're, you're a regional rep, right? He said, yes, that is true. And I asked, well, what his region is? And he's, uh, region goes from Monroe down to Homa. Okay, that's your territory. I asked him, what would happen if you went into a grocery store, say in Dallas-Fort Worth? and began giving them instructions on how to arrange displays of Oreos. He said, well, I hope they would say, okay, but truth be told, they'd probably say, you need to get out of the store. This is not your territory. But what if he did that in Canada? What if he went over to someplace in Europe, began giving people instructions? Everybody would say, no, this is not your territory. The world that Jeremiah lived in, gods were very territorial. Yahweh was the God of the land of Judah, that small place. And outside that land, Yahweh wasn't supposed to have any power at all. And yet, as we see in chapter 29, Jeremiah writes a letter to the exiles and he gives them specific instruction. He says, when you're taken away in chains, when everything has been destroyed, your homes are gone, your land is desolate, and you're taken over here to Babylon to live in exile, here's how you need to live. Build yourself a nice house. Plant a vineyard. Grow some tomatoes and some peppers. Enjoy the harvest. If you have children over there, make sure they have the opportunity to fall in love with somebody else. Let them get married. Enjoy the life I am giving you. And what's even more inconceivable, pray for the peace of the place where you are living because in the welfare of that place, you will find your own welfare. Think about that. Babylonian Empire pulls these people away from their home and God says, I'm going there with you. Pray for peace in that place too, even if they are your conquerors. Pray for peace there because you know what? I'm going to be there too. 
This is a completely radical idea. Yahweh was not a local deity just stuck in the land of Judah. As Jeremiah says, if you really believe that there is only one God, then that God is God in Judah, that God is God in Babylon, that God is God in Greece, in Italy, in Western Europe, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. That one God is Lord of all things, creator, maker of all things. Anyone ever live in a place you didn't really like, weren't very comfortable with? I see some heads nodding out there. I've told this story before. For me, that place was eastern Kentucky. Uh, right after I graduated from high school, I went to Bible college, a tiny little rural community out in eastern Kentucky. Now, I'm not speaking bad of Kentucky here at all. I just, I wasn't a good fit. It's probably because it's the first time I ever lived away from home as well. And I tell the story that when I finished up my four years of living in Kentucky and I got in my car and I started driving west, I didn't look in the rearview mirror. I was done. I was glad to be gone. But I tell you what, as I've grown older and I've looked back at those years that I spent in college there, I've gotten to see I did a lot of growing. That was an important time in my life. Even if I wasn't comfortable there, I don't regret it. I hope for all of us, when we find ourselves living in places we may not be as comfortable, I hope you can find God hasn't abandoned you there. God is still with you. God is mobile. God will go where you go. The first sign of hope that Jeremiah gave was that God was going with them into exile. Jeremiah gives the people a next generation hope. Seventy years later, wars are going to come, Babylon is going to crumble, and God is going to bring the people back to the promised land. There's going to be a return to the land. Remember last Sunday, we talked about Jeremiah in the middle of the siege of Jerusalem when property was probably worthless. It's the middle of a war zone. Who buys property in the middle of a war zone? Jeremiah buys a field from his cousin. That is a prophetic act declaring that one day people will return. Houses and fields will be bought and sold. There will be this return. The wasteland will return to life. Families will enjoy their homes again. Brides and grooms will be joined together. The people who return, as we look back, the people who return from exile in Babylon, in many ways, that generation is the rootstock for what becomes Jewish faith. As they come back, a lot of the, the silliness, the idolatry, the child sacrifice, those things that had been happening, those are gone. These people who return to Jerusalem, they become that generation begins looking how God can live with them in these changed situations. 
Now, there's a lot of debate about the Ten Commandments, whether they should or should not be displayed in public places, courthouses, public squares. I'm not going to weigh in on that debate this morning. But I do want to say this. You think about those Ten Commandments. They were given to this little tribe of people who nobody would have expected to survive. And yet, well over 4,000, I guess, years later, not only do they still look to these as a guide for their ethics, billions of people in this country still look to the Ten Commandments as a guide for their ethics. And billions of people around the world still look to this little document that was given to this tiny tribe of people. I think that says a lot about the people that preserved those commandments. I think that says a lot about the God who gave those commandments to those people as well. We should stand up, pay attention to what has been passed to us. The thing is, after that return to the Holy Land, things didn't happen perfectly. There's still a lot of issues within Jewish culture. As Jesus comes on the scene, he sees that a lot of abuses have grown up. People are still missing the point. But here's the thing. God wasn't finished with them. There was still more hope to come. Jeremiah, that great prophet of hope, he talked about hope for the generation going into exile. He preached hope to the generation coming back, and he gave a longer vision hope that God was going to bring a new covenant, a new relation, a relationship between Him and His people, one that was not mediated by rules written in stone, but one that was written upon the hearts of each individual. Anybody want to self-confess to having a tattoo somewhere? Anybody? One, two, okay. Those of you who have done tattoos probably know this. You put that writing on your skin. It's there as a reminder. And I'm sure it probably tells you a story as well. I don't, I don't have any tattoos, but I do have some scars. I, I have a pretty good one right here. I don't know if you can see it. It tells me a story. It tells me I'm a klutz. I was making cinnamon toast for my daughter under the oven broiler. And when I reached in to pull the toast out, my hand just barely touched the heating element of the oven. And man, that thing was red hot and it burnt me deep. And I got a mark that reminds me each and every time I look at it, what I did. It tells me to be careful next time. Here's the thing. 
When God writes on your heart, God's covenant is inscribed inside. What that means is that every time you look inside, every time you connect with your emotions, every time you reflect on who you are, God's Word is right there telling you a story. This is who you are. This is who your God is. This is what God's will is for you. The thing is, as Christians read this passage from the book of Jeremiah, they reflected upon Christ's words at the Last Supper, the cup of the new covenant. They saw that these were words for them as well. This is what Christ wanted to do in their lives. Christ wanted to write God's Word and God's will upon all of our hearts. That's the relationship God is seeking with you today. Not one where you come to church on a Sunday morning and I stand in front of you and I say, No God, no God, no God, no God. No. God wants a relationship where each and every day you already have His Word inside. You don't need somebody else to come and tell you and explain who God is to you. It's no mistake. In the book of Jeremiah, when Jeremiah describes the relationship between Yahweh and His people, The metaphor that Jeremiah often refers to is that of a marriage. Unfortunately, often in Jeremiah, it's a marriage that is crumbling. The wife, God's people, have been unfaithful. They haven't been faithful to that marriage covenant. But still, within that metaphor, Jeremiah says that God wants a restoration of that relationship. God wants the intimacy of a marriage with His people. I think of every day, my own life. I wake up in the morning, my wife has been in bed next to me. Every day as we're running out the door on the way to the office, exchange a kiss and and I love you. Every day if we talk on the phone, we end with those words, love you, love you too. It's a reminder that I'm a part of a relationship. It's a reminder. This is something I have made promises to, and I am committed, and she is committed to me. That is the relationship that God is looking for with you. Every day you awaken to the realization that God has made promises to you and you have made promises to God and you will be faithful to that relationship. Jeremiah, he spoke hope to those going to exile. He spoke a word of hope to those returning. He spoke of hope of a long range, a new commitment, a new covenant. Jeremiah spoke a fourth sign of hope That is an eternal promise. Jeremiah reveals a new side of God to us. Just reading the 
first chapters of Jeremiah, you would get the sense that God is just angry. God is just out for destruction. God is kind of finished. He's done. But here in this book of consolation, we have this powerful statement. The Lord declares, I know the plans I have for you. They are plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Jeremiah wrote those words in a letter in the darkest moment, in exile. All hope seemed lost. Jeremiah tells to his Brothers and sisters, there is a ray of hope here. God's plan is not one for destruction. God's plan is one to give us hope and a future. What was true then is true now, I believe. In your shadow times, times of difficulty, In times where communities are struggling against the odds, we can rely on that promise we find in Jeremiah. It's a hope for the people in the ancient world. It's a hope still for us today. God loves us. God is still at work in our lives. And that is a promise we have to learn to live into. Learn to trust. I recently heard about a conversation between two women. One of the women was a mother of only an only child. The other woman, her name is Pearsall Smith. If you don't know Pearsall Smith, she was a Quaker relief organizer in the late 19th, early 20th century. This mother was talking to Mrs. Smith and said, you know, I have a hard time in my prayers saying, Thy will be done. Let God's will be done in my life. Mother said, I'm really afraid that God's going to take away my only child or or send me into some kind of a heavy trial. I just have a hard time trusting what God is up to in my life. Pearsall, Pearsall Smith replied, Suppose your little boy came to you and said to you, Today I want to be and do just what you desire. Today I want to be good little boy. I want to do what you want me to do. She said, As his mother, would you say to yourself, Ah, now is the opportunity to make this child do all the disagreeable duties I want done. I'll take advantage of his willingness to please me by cutting off his pleasures and keep him in hard discipline. Is that what you would do to your boy? Mother said, of course not. No. I would give him the best day that I could possibly plan for him. Peter Saul Smith said, Can you think God is less just and loving than you? God is a loving parent. God wants the best for all of us. 
God has a plan to give us a future, to give us hope. This is the work of God in our lives. These are the words of Jeremiah. These are the words of Jesus. These are the words of the gospel that we still preach today. I hope you enjoyed looking through the book of Jeremiah together learning a little more from him. His words so often forgotten. His words still ring true to us this morning. Amen.